Well, good morning again. Sunshine, sunshine. Our older son Jack and I went skiing yesterday and it was beautiful to be outside for the whole day in the sun. It was just nice to be, <laughs> to be out. So we enjoy it when we can. You caught that news story about there had been five minutes of sunshine in Grand Rapids for like the first, what, 10 days in January or something? Oh, brutal. But we, we take these days as gifts, right? Uh, it, it always feels good to me to kind of turn the page uh, and start a new season either in the fall or kind of the, the first of the year. And, and we're beginning something new today, a new series uh, for the new year called The Stories of Jesus. And it's a, a series uh, that will explore some of the stories that Jesus himself told as ways of, of kind of teaching and, and guiding us. If, if you're familiar with the Bible at all, you know that Jesus was a master storyteller and he told these stories with a purpose known as parables. And, uh, you know, I think one of the reasons Jesus taught using stories in this way is be, because stories engage you in a way that statements don't. There's a fullness uh, to a story. It kind of reels you in. It makes you think about the elements of the story, makes you kind of ponder what they mean, makes you uh, try to find your place in the story. Like, how do I fit into this? Where, where, where am I in, in this story? And we've all heard it said that a picture uh, is worth a thousand words. And in a way, a parable or a story is, is simply a big word picture. So in that sense, these stories are worth many more words than the number of words used to comprise them. There's a lot more going on. So that's all theoretical. Here's an example. When teaching about the kingdom of God, Jesus could have said... The kingdom of God is of supreme value and is worth much more than everything you have. And if, if, uh, if, if you've tasted what it means to trust Christ with your own life, you certainly would nod your head and say, yes, that, that is true. I, I believe that. Uh, but that's not what Jesus chose to say. In, instead, he chose to say it this way. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. You know, the same truth is in both statements, but in the story there's so much more. I mean, the sense of surprise at finding something unexpected, the great joy at finding something undeserved and unearned that is worth more than he ever had, everything he had. The bold, uh, dramatic, possibly rash action of cashing out. He sold it all to buy that field. And then there's the courage, the boldness to really push all in to dedicate not just some, but all of your resources and all of yourself toward the end of seeking first the kingdom of God. All of that's in that story, right? It's, there's way more in that story than that propositional statement that Jesus could have said. So these parables carry freight train loads of content for us, much more than just propositional truths for our heads, but actionable realities for our lives. So that's what we're going to be looking at throughout this series, the, the kind of life that's conveyed in these stories. Pastor Dave referenced that last week in his sermon. He talked about the two different Greek words for life, bios, biological life, you know, and zoe, the, the life that is really life, 
in God and by the Spirit of God. These, these stories point us toward that life that is really life. So let's listen to one of those stories today, the story of two builders from Luke chapter 6. Today's scripture is from Luke 6, verse 49 through 46, 46 through 49. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words, puts them into practice. I will show you what they are like. They are like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on a rock. When a flood came, the torrent struck that house, but it could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed, and its destruction was complete. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Leah. You're such a good reader. (laughs) Uh, History is full of famous foundation failures. You know this one. Begun in the 12th century, the builders of the, the then Tower of Pisa <laughs> found soil problems almost immediately and stopped construction. Almost a century went by, and then they decided to finish it, even though it was already, already falling down. And it has slowly been falling down ever since, despite untold millions trying to prop it up. More recent failures. The Ocean Tower in South Padre Island, Texas. I've, I've uh, been on a sailing trip down toward this way, and, and this is a little sandbar of an island. They put up this huge tower. The, the soil engineers tested down to 100 feet and said, pilings to 100 feet are good. The problem they didn't find was between 160 feet and 190 feet, there was all this wonky compressible clay. So they built this building, it got to its 32 stories, and it just slowly started to sink and lean. Complete mess, right? You you, you can imagine the legal battle, it was just, and it stood there for multiple years as things unfold. They finally had to implode it and and bring it down. Um, maybe, Maybe even more famously, the current example, the Millennium Tower in the heart of downtown San Francisco, the city's tallest, most luxurious residential skyscraper, 58 stories, opened in 2009. By 2016, it had sunk 16 inches and tilted six. By the end of 2018, it had sunk 18 inches and tilted 14 inches. It's still falling down in the heart of downtown San Francisco. Um, So maybe this goes without saying, but foundation problems are big problems. Big problems. And and of course, that's the point of Jesus' story. Uh, His point, story of the two builders, one dug down deep and laid a foundation on a rock. The other, in this version of the story, decided to build on the ground with no foundation at all. There, there's a very similar story in Matthew's gospel right at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. And in, in that version of Jesus' story, he references a wise builder and a foolish builder. And if you're more familiar with the Bible, you know this story. Uh, the wise builder was the one who built on rock, and the foolish builder was the one who chose to build on sand. And during 
uh, seminary, I had, I had a chance to travel to the Holy Land. Our, our tour guide, when there, pointed out this story and said that that whole picture of building on sand had very special significance to the people of Jesus' day because if you go out into the wilderness in that area, it's all rock. There's no, there's no sand like there. Like our soil is predominantly sand around here. There's sand everywhere, right? That's not the, not the, the same over there. The only place you would find sand in the Holy Land, besides the beach, would be in the wadis or the, the, the culverts, the gullies that, that run down from the higher places in the country. During the rain, rainy season, there would be torrential downpours and all the runoff would run from the high places either down to the Dead Sea or the Mediterranean through these gullies, these wadis, and sediment would accumulate in the bottom of these then dry riverbeds. So the point is, if somebody built on sand, they were missing the very obvious reality that that location was 100% sure to flood within a year because you're building in the bottom of a riverbed. Implied, and you should be able to see that coming. So it was kind of doubly foolish. One, you don't just build on sand because some water can wash away. But second, you're building in the river. What, what, what are you doing? Look at, look at what Jesus said. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I will show you what they are like. It's, it's important to realize uh, the people Jesus was addressing in this statement. It's the people who looked to him and said, Lord, Lord. Remember, repetition is emphasis, right? They didn't just say Lord, but Lord, Lord. It's emphatic, heartfelt. I, I think you're Lord. So Jesus is addressing the people who acknowledge him as Lord, not the people who reject him outright and don't want to have anything to do with him. I, I take that to mean he's talking to people who've made some kind of profession of faith, Right? And Jesus is pointing out the discrepancy between what we say we believe and how we actually live. And discrepancy would be kind, right? The, the better word might be hypocrisy. Uh, one pastor said this in a sermon, this is the folly of people who have heard what is right, acknowledged that it is right, and profess to be following it, but who do not put Christ's teachings into practice. It reminds me of a famous verse from Revelation. You might know it. This is Jesus speaking. He said, here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. And this has been, this has been plastered over all sorts of evangelical pleas, evangelistic pleas, saying, hey, turn, turn to Jesus, come to Christ. Jesus is standing at the door of your life and knocking and, and all you have to do is open the door and explore a relationship with him, come to, come to faith in Jesus. And, and as true as all that might be, that's not at all what the Lord meant when he said this because in context, that statement came at, at the rather famous conclusion to uh, the, seven, the le seven letters to the churches where Jesus was talking to seven congregations and saying, hey, I, I, I see this in you and that's good and I, I see this and this isn't so good. And here's how he concludes that. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. 
If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Quite a bit different, huh? That's an invitation to us who claim to follow Jesus. That's an invitation not just to come to Christ and hear Christ, but to put the words of Christ into practice. Verse 20 is an invitation to repentance, and the story we have today is the same. Right? It's addressed to followers of Jesus. So that's us. So here's the thing. Don't just listen to a sermon right now. Like internally, don't put up your defenses. Let's all try to seek the Lord and listen to the Lord because sometimes Jesus comes and gets right here and just for the purposes of, of disciplining us because he loves us, tells us what's up. That's real. So let's listen and open the door. So we'll look at three things. What made the foolish builder foolish? What made the wise builder wise? And what we can take away. So again, Jesus mentioned three elements to these, these two, two builders. Uh, coming to Jesus, coming to him, hearing his words, and putting those words into practice. And, and of course, what made the foolish builder foolish was that he did the first two without the third. The, the foolishness was not based on not coming to Jesus, nor was it based on not hearing Jesus. It was based on the very fact that this person had already come to Jesus and had heard Jesus, but those words had, had not been activated in this person's life. They weren't being put into practice. There's a big difference between intellectually uh, between intellectual assent to truths about Jesus and to following him the best we're able, this is all by the power of the Spirit too, but trying to follow, actually change, make a course correction because we're listening to what Jesus is saying and trying to put it into practice. You could actually argue that um, one definition for following Jesus is this, putting into practice his words. Just really trying to do that. Because we all know it's very possible for us to look really good on the outside, to have a, a, a magnificent facade, and on the inside to have everything all kind of out of whack. Right? We're, we're talking about putting the words of Jesus into practice. Uh, the great preacher Charles Spurgeon spoke of talk without walk. The common temptation is, instead of really repenting, to talk about repentance. Instead of heartily believing, to say, I believe, without believing. Instead of truly loving, to talk of love without loving. Instead of coming to Christ, to speak about coming to Christ and to pro profess to come to Christ and yet not come at all. It's, it's more of a heart thing, as is the whole faith, right? Than a how we present on the outside thing, we all do well to remember the words of the Apostle Paul in Romans 2. A person is not a Jew who is one only outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly. And circumcision is circumcision of the heart, by the spirit, not by the written code. Such a person's praise is not from other people, but from God. 
See, the foolish builder was foolish because he came to Jesus, listened to Jesus, but did not put into practice what Jesus said. And of course, the wise builder was wise because he did put into practice what Jesus said. But what does that mean? What does it actually mean to dig down deep and to set a foundation, a spiritual foundation on rock? Well, the first thing we have to identify is what the rock is. So, so let, me, let, me, let me say two things with a caveat. When Jesus is talking about putting his words into practice, he is not directing us away from our understanding that we are saved by God's grace alone. You're, you're saved by grace, through faith, not by works. This, this is what we believe. He's not redirecting us to, hey, you gotta come to me and you gotta hear me and you gotta do everything I said perfectly or else you know, yeah. That's not this. Jesus is simply saying, it, it's really not possible to come to him and hear him and follow him without changing. Like we're the ones who need to change. We're the ones who need to be reformed according to the word of God. We're the ones who are in need. So he's simply saying, follow me by, by doing something different. You know, pray, listen, ask for guidance, and then take a step. Really take a step of faith and try it. So that, that's the caveat. If, if you want to build your life on the rock, you have to know what the rock is. You have to identify what that is. The Bible consistently points to Jesus himself as the rock, as the only sure foundation for human life in this world, kind of, kind of throughout scripture. So the first way to put Jesus' words into practice is to believe what Jesus said about himself and to place your trust in him, your, your reliance. Look, look at this from Isaiah. So this is what the sovereign Lord says. See, I lay a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone for a sure foundation. The one who relies on it will never be stricken with panic. Of course, Jesus is that stone. Jesus is that sure foundation. The one who relies on him. Reliance, of course, in, involves trust. Right? The one who relies on him will never be stricken with panic. Meaning, I think, not that we won't have hard times. We will. The flood will come. It's the assumption of this text that we'll talk about in a moment. And, and when it does, there is a kind of faith available to us in Jesus and only in Jesus that will help us endure. You know, we still hurt, we still suffer, but we don't have to panic because it's possible to know the one upon whom we've relied, right? And, and, and that gets to the second point. Uh, the, the clear assumption of Jesus' story is that a torrent will come that there will be a flood. It's not a matter of if. It's a matter of when. I don't care where you are in life. Maybe you're very young. Maybe you're very old. The torrent will 
come. There's no way around that. When a flood came, the torrent struck that house but could not shake it because it was well built. Everyone will face gut-wrenching challenges in life. Deep, painful grief to the, to the level uh, where you go outside and walk around the normal world after experiencing something so deeply painful and you're wondering, does anybody get it? Nobody understands. Can anybody ever understand that, that deep sense of loss? And, and again, it's not, it's not if, it's when. And I, I know us as a church family, I know, I know many of us have experienced that. This is a reality. So, please, as your pastor, don't wait for it to start raining before you prepare for the flood. I mean, the second way to put Jesus' words into practice is to begin preparing for the torrent now. And I'll talk about two ways to do that actively, but, but first, a story and an observation from my perspective for what it's worth trying to walk with people through the ups and downs of life and as a pastor you get invited in at, uh, to kind of holy ground and privileged conversations and it's a God thing and it's very special uh, and, and important. And, and I have observed two distinct pathways when we as followers of Jesus experience the flood and are hit by a torrent and my sense, this is just me now, my sense is this has a lot to do with the way our faith has come together or been formed before the torrent. If it hasn't been fully formed and, and, and isn't well practiced, we tend toward why did God do this to me? Very distinct, and I experience faith just, I mean, all, all, our faith wavers sometimes. It's okay to have doubts, I'm not saying that. But there's, there's a heartfelt, I really can't believe in all this anymore because a bad thing happened to me. And, and all the while, I'm there thinking, but our faith isn't based on whether good things or bad things happen to us. Our faith is based on what has happened historically in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. There's a whole different foundation here. A whole different thing, a whole different claim. So how, how do you, what, what do you do? How do you begin to prepare for the flood before it comes? One is this. Be an active part of the church family. Do not accept the mentality that says, we just go to church. I mean, as Christians, I call us to believe that we are the church. We don't go to church. We are God's family on earth only by his grace. And we need each other to follow Jesus well. Because you know this about you. I know it about me. If I tried to do this thing alone, it would be a complete disaster. I need to. I have to make myself accountable to other people and ask for help. Would you help me follow Jesus? 
So I'm really asking that. Would you help me (laughs) follow Jesus? And what would it look like for a whole community of faith to not just in a superficial way, but in a deep, heartfelt way to look at each one of us and say, would you please help me follow Jesus? It's body. One's a finger, one's a hand, one's a foot. And man, together, God has something good going that we need. Can't do it alone. So contribute to helping the church feel like family. I'm just going to do it. You know, don't ask what your church can do for you. (laughs) But what you can do for the church. That's the question, right? And it's so backwards in our culture. And and it's wrong. Like the cultural understanding is wrong, right? So, So be part of the body of Christ. Because when it's really hard for you to believe and trust, if you keep showing up, we will believe and trust for you for a little bit and your faith will come back. So the second thing to do to prepare for the flood before it comes is seek the Lord by reading and reflecting on scripture. If you you want to begin a single spiritual practice that will make the most difference in your life, if you're not doing it already, just to engage in some regular rhythm of reading and reflecting on scripture. Because you can't make course corrections to your life based on the teachings of Jesus if one, you don't know what Jesus said and two, you aren't regularly reading and reflecting on what Jesus said. You can't make course corrections to what Jesus said if you don't know what he said. You, you get the point of the things I was trying to say today. A, a foolish builder misses the point of putting into practice Jesus' words. Wise builders try to do that. Wise builders ask this question. Lord, how are you calling me to follow you more faithfully today? So I, I invite you to that. And we're going we're gonna to close with just one thing. I'm going to read a little uh, snippet of Luke that came up a few verses before the ones we read today. In, in Matthew's gospel, there's the Sermon on the Mount. In Luke's gospel, there's the Sermon on the Plain. And both these stories about the wise and foolish builders come after that big body of ethical teaching. I, I think, meaning this for us, that you can't really have Jesus without the gospel implications for your life. Right? And, there, and there's, there's a rub there's a putting into practice we need to consider. So uh, let, let me invite you to close your eyes. And I'm going to read a bit of what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Plain in Luke. And, and listen for where the words of Jesus poke you. Where's the rub? Do any situations in your life come to mind as you listen? What might the Lord be calling you to do? So let me read. I'm, I'm going to read it twice. So just, just listen. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. 
Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn it to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. Lord, help us in this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So take 30 seconds or so and continue to think about that verse and those questions. They'll be on the screen for us.